Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. Danny was half afloat, half submerged in a tub full of tepid water. One of those old tubs, heavy as a kettle up off the ground on a platform with clawed feet. A garbage bag around his head was tied at the neck. His tongue, swollen and purple, protruded. Blood vessels in his eyes had burst, making them look like road maps with nothing but interstates. Bladder and bowels had let go in the water. DeSalle stepped up behind Don. He didn't speak till Don turned around. Looks like an overdose with the bag for insurance. One of the uniforms told me there's a society recommends this route. Anybody else around? DeSalle shook his head. Have been, though, two, three people at least living here. Looks like maybe more. Note, DeSalle handed it to him, sheathed in a sleeve of clear plastic with DeSalle's initials scrawled across the seal. There was only one light in the room, a bare bulb above the sink. Don stood under it as he read the note. Then he passed the note to me. It all comes down to choice, doesn't it? The ones we have, the ones we don't have, those we make and those we're never able to make. Temporary choices, inadvertent choices, final choices. Screw them all. And your goddamn houses out in Metairie. And your kids in private schools, your minimum wage jobs, your sorry-ass unions, and your cops, most of all. Am I making myself clear here? Everything's water if you look long enough, right? It's a strange one, DeSalle said. I handed a note back to Don. No heading or salutation, right? Left side's ragged, torn out of a notebook, diary, something like that. Boy had a lot of anger in him. Always thought it was other people screwed up his life. Don stepped into the front room to speak with Martinez. You guys go back away, huh? I told DeSalle how Don and I met. Both of us little more than kids each with his own reason to be searching for the sniper that killed all those people back in the 60s. Don had been shot by the sniper. I'd come upon them in a downtown cul-de-sac and probably saved Don's life. At least he insisted I had. Since then, he'd saved mine more times than I could count. Not many like him on the force, DeSalle said. Not many like him anywhere. You know it. Has to be tough looking at Danny there in the tub and all this. Can't imagine anything tougher. But I think he'd been getting ready for it. Something like this. Then forensics was upon us. Tape measures churred, whisk brooms and tiny vacuums whispered. Bits of debris tumbled in the baggies. Don stood at the edge of it all, just outside the doorway, watching. Also there wheezing like a bad accordion, sucking alternately at metered dose inhalers of atrovent or albuterol and oxygen from the portable compressor hung like an oversized binocular case under one arm, directing autora-like this too-real dramatic moment, stood Dr. Bajour. You're a boy, I understand. Yeah. She shook her head squeezed off two hits of vinylin, then wheezed a long exhale. Sure, it's top of the list for you. For me, it's just one more. Pick a number. Twelve, thirteen in there. Wait your turn. I say anything? You will. 
Her shoulders lifted with the effort to drag more air into faltering lungs. Do the same myself in your position, Wash. No way I wouldn't. King's horses couldn't stop me. Special favors aren't an option here, Sonya, okay? But I would appreciate anything you can give me quick. What she gave him was a fit of coughing, sounded as though nails and planks were being ripped out of her body's floor. We've been at this a while now, haven't we? We have indeed, Sonya. Another long exhalation. Bumpy road, lots of lows, a few highs. Few enough. Truly sorry about this one, Walsh. Never had a family myself. Doesn't mean I don't know what it's like. Yeah. You're a better cop than you ever were a father. Being a cop is easy. Yeah, I guess. Words came in a rush, breathless, high in her chest. I barely heard the last few. You... Her mouth went on moving, but no words came forth. Her face turned dark. Sonia, you okay? Want me to call the paramedics? No. No, I'm okay. Give me a minute. It took more than a minute, but gradually her breathing eased, her color improved. By then, her technicians had finished and came to tell her so. She looked at Dawn. Guess we're packing it up. Both have to get back to work now, huh? The real work. Looks like it. No more time for flirting. Flirting. Now, there's a word I haven't heard in a while. My God, are we really that old, Sonia? How'd it happen, huh? I know. I wonder myself. Things go on. Years pile up. All the lists get longer. He stood, watching her go. Lou, Don said. Yeah. Okay if I stay with you tonight? Absolutely. Baby. Come go home with me. Baby. Come go home with me. I'll make you just as happy as any woman can be. Damn, another mouth to feed, Zeke said. He'd passed by Dawn asleep on the couch on his way into the kitchen where I yes, sat I drinking will. coffee, wondering how early I could start making calls. Sam Delaney to tell him I'd found his brother, Keith Leroy, to thank him for his help. Deborah. Zeke poured himself a cup and sat down across from me, sniffed at it, and held on with both hands, huddling over it the way cons do. I was worried about you, I told him. Haven't seen you in a few days. Well, I've been working on something, just steady chipping away at it. You know how that is. Getting anywhere? Zeke shrugged. Hard to say. We can talk about it later. Meantime, that cop draped all over your couch out there has got to be your friend Walsh. He'd know instantly, of course, that Dom was a cop. No surprise there. What's up? I told him about Danny. Zeke's eyes narrowed when I described the bathroom scene, but he said nothing. Afterwards, he shook his head and poured us each another cup. You might want to give some thought to checking your messages every week or so. Last I counted, there were a stone dozen of them out there on the machine. First was Deborah. Hey, big boy. Remember me? 
Two and three were from the university. Please call. Four was Sam Delaney. The next couple were junk calls. Seven was Deborah again. Guess not. Then another from Dean Treadwell's office. Someone offered me a bank card. An old client from my P.I. days wondering if I'd be able to help him again. My agent saying there'd be a Hollywood nibble on one of my books and how was I these days and a couple of more junk calls. I dialed a flower shop. Rumors of my death and all that. I said when Deborah answered, Lou, everything okay? I told her about finding Sean Delaney, then about Don's son. I'm so sorry, Lou. How's Don? Tough, as always. Sounds like you've had a couple of tough days yourself. I distinctly remember easier ones. Don't we all? When can I see you? At this point, I don't have a clue what the day's likely to turn into. Not another grade-A mess like yesterday is what I hope. Okay if I call you later. Sure it is. Or just come by. Right. I took the last of the coffee out back, sat on the wooden bench layered with bird droppings under the tree out there. Through the kitchen window, I heard the radio playing. Wagner's overture to the Flying Dutchman, whose questionable hero, the devil over here, is saying he'll round the cape if it takes forever and decides to take him at his word, turning him into a marine version of Sisyphus. An equally questionable angel intervenes, doling him out one day every seven years on dry land, telling the Dutchman he can be released from this if only he's able to find a woman who'll follow him into death. Much like that questionable hero or angel, Don appeared in the doorway. Tell me it's still Tuesday. Yep, ticking away like all the rest of them. Time goes, we stay. What time? Around 11, I think. I called the department, told DeSalle you wouldn't be in. He said no problem. No one expected you to be. Wanted me to let you know he was thinking about you. Don nodded and dropped onto the bench beside me. I had no idea what thoughts were turning, surfacing, sinking back down in his mind. When do we ever, however close we are to someone? Lots of horses shot up from under us, he finally said. Both of us. No doubt about it, but... We always managed to get up again and walk on. After a moment, he said, Maybe there were times we shouldn't have. The flying Dutchman ended. The phone rang. I listened for the message and couldn't make it out. I put my hand atop my friend's. I've been telling you for a while now that it was time you actually found someone, said Don. One of these people you're forever looking for? Yeah. And I always said you were probably right. Now I'm thinking maybe that someone should be David. We sat watching vines and runners that didn't move, chameleons that didn't stop. Inside, the phone rang again. Don's beeper went off. Together, I mean. We could look for him together. I have a lot of time coming to me. I nodded. Good, my friend said. Good. Hear that lonesome whippoorwill He sounds too blue to fly The 
train is whining low I'm so lonesome I could cry It was good having old friends greet me. They all stood at the doors of their cells watching. A few of them nodded. I was thinking how all my life I never felt I belonged anywhere. Now I knew I did. I belonged here. I hit save, back the last 20 or so pages onto a disc to join the rest, then started a printout. My letter to Vicky, which had turned into a reinvention of the old man, then into a memoir of Laverne, later into some cocktoesque fantasy of men in black tuxedos and women in white dresses emerging from cave mouths or subways had resolved with absolute simplicity in a matter of 12 or 14 intense, ever-surprising hours into a sequel to my prison novel, Mole. I woke on the floor. The printer had stopped for lack of paper. The phone had stopped, too, a couple of times at least, I realized. But now it was ringing again. You there? Walsh said when I picked up. Hello, intelligent life. Semi, anyway. Listen, Don, I haven't got any sleep yet. Not so you'd notice it anyway. You want to call me back later? Sure I do. Guess I'll have to, to get your sorry ass off the dime. But if you haven't been sleeping, then just what the hell is it you have been doing? I'm as surprised as you are, believe me. But I guess I've just finished a new book. A new book? Another book? No hope for you, is there, Lou? I'll leave you alone for just a few hours. I mean, I figure this is safe. We'll both grab some sleep, get out there, and take care of business. But no, you decide to spend your time on a book. <laughs> just what my mother used to say. Only then it was reading books, not writing them. Yeah, you told me. This book, a good one? Never sure at first. I think it is. Don made an ambiguous sound somewhere between grunt and laugh. You at home? Yeah. And? He knew what I was asking. That's the thing about old friends. So many of your most important conversations are silent. It's going to take time, Lou, but listen. Yeah? DeSalle called. Rouch is going to walk. We scramble, but there's no way we can make a hard enough case to get him bound over. Everything's circumstantial like it is. So we have him on disorderly in possession, and that's about it. We could hold on to him for another 24 to 48 hours, but what's the point? You see any? Guess not. What about Delaney? Back in the bosom of his family, even as we speak. Guess that was one phone call I'd waited too long to make. Thanks, Don. Lights out, then. You want, I could send you a lullaby. Not at this point in time. Right. Well, I offered. The moon just went behind the clouds to hide its face and cry. Almost eight. I might still be able to catch Deborah at home. How's the fatted calf? I said when she answered. Fatter and fatter. I apologized to her for not calling or coming by as I said I would, then told her about the new book. I guess it was a book, more like a patchwork quilt for me at this point. I remembered individual pages, scenes, all these small islands. Couldn't make much sense of the whole thing. 
but that's great, Lou. I guess. Right now I feel like a truck ran over me, braked, and backed up to have another go, just in case. So get some sleep. Call me later. The phone rang moments after Deborah and I hung up. Sam Delaney was calling to thank me, he said. Didn't know if I could ever understand how much this meant to him, to all the family. Please send a bill for my services and expect his check by return mail. One more thing, Delaney told me. Yes? My mother said for me to tell you God bless for bringing her son back to her. You tell her I appreciate that, Sam. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, I will. I poured O'Doul's into a glass, took it out to the slave quarters and began sorting pages. Forty, maybe fifty to go. They curled up slowly, sway-backed out of the belly of the machine and wherever they'd come before that, into the world. What I needed was a real drink. I went back into the house, stuffed my wallet into my shorts and made for the K&B on St. Charles, one block over, six down. I emerged with a six-pack of amber in a doubled plastic bag, walked back over to Britannia with the old man while he told me about his life as a streetcar driver, how much the city and its people had changed over the years. Then we turned different directions, uptown, downtown. But I wasn't alone. A bicycle shot by. Half a block and three minutes later, it circled back, looping past more slowly. Two riders, young black men, apparently tracking a woman who'd stepped out of one of the nearby stands of newly restored doubles on her way to car and work. No reason to worry about me. Poorly dressed old black man, unshaven, unkempt, shuffling along with his morning beer, hardly likely to cause problems. Be gone the instant anything happened. I stepped up my pace until I was close upon her. I'd begun swinging the six-pack in his plastic bag idly at my side, letting the arc grow. Concerned about my encroachment, unaware of the real danger, the woman walked faster. No sound of traffic anywhere nearby. That's when they came sailing in. That's also when I spun around, letting the bag fly out, adding the force of my turn to its own weight and momentum. It struck the driver full in the face. He fell heavily back, dislodging his passenger, and the three of them, driver, passenger, and bike, went skidding beneath a jacked-up pickup parked half a block down. Several bottles of abita, whole and partial, chatter against the curb. The woman who'd been their target turned abruptly towards St. Charles. The driver was dead out with a broken nose and a face that in a day or so would be one massive mask-like bruise. Beneath oversized shorts worn low on his hips, the passenger's tibia jutted out through the flesh of his leg. Neither of them was going anywhere. I knocked at the nearest house, and when a lady in pink house coat and slippers let the door out on his chain, asked if she'd mind calling the police. She looked off at the kids under the truck, nodded, and backing away, shut and locked the door. Do we ever know how much of what we do, what we decide, what we set in motion is conscious, how much purely not? 
easy now to look back at walking away from the university, at my activities over the next several days, even at the new book, with its protagonist's acceptance of his apartness and withdrawal, and see the pattern. Later that day, the unofficial neighborhood watch captains, Norm Marcus and son Raymond, Jean and Janet Prue, came to thank me for putting an end to the robberies. My disavowals and claim that I'd only been on an errand, minding my own business, they refused to accept as other than becoming modesty. Obviously, I'd been out doing legwork, figured where and when the kids were likely to strike next and contrived to be there. Good detectives make good neighbors. Eventually, I managed to shoehorn them out. All but Raymond, who lingered behind. Something I can do for you, Raymond? Ray, that's what most everyone calls me, except family. Others call me R.M. Okay. Ray, it is. Writing a term paper on those sniper shootings back in the 60s. Carl Joseph, all that. Wondered if you might be able to help me with some of it. Know you're busy. Not that busy. You come on over whenever you want to. We'll talk about all that. Thanks, Lou. He held out his hand. My God, I thought, you wait long enough, they do turn into human beings. Some of them, anyway. I spent the next hour or so figuratively making lists, not that I'm by nature a list maker. Tend to improvise, I guess. Books, days, life. Wanting to be sure she'd received the new manuscript, I called my agent. Vicky was on another line, but a secretary confirmed that not only did they have the novel, they'd already sent it out, had even had a nibble or two, though no strikes. Did I want to hold? No. And it might be a while before I was in touch again. Next, I rang Dean Treadwell's office to say that yes, I had resigned my position, and no, I did not foresee returning, nor did I have reason to speak personally with the dean. I began sorting through the bills I kept in a basket on the kitchen table, wrote checks to pay everything off in full, sent the mortgage company a check covering the next year, then put all the rest away in a drawer and picked up the phone again. Dialed one number, and when I got no response, dialed another. Yeah, Don there. Walsh, how many Dons you have? Thought maybe you were calling up the mob, you know? At least he spared me the Brando imitation. This Griffin. Yeah, DeSalle. You bet. What the hell you do? They got you answering phones? City's cutting back. Casinos don't hump it quite the way council members thought. Didn't bail the city out. I hang up. For all I know, my next assignment's cleaning bathrooms. Hang on, Lou. Then raising his voice, Hey, Walsh, it's Griffin. You want to talk to him or not? No one else will. Lou, enjoying your time off, I see. Hey, officially I'm not even here. Just figured since you were going to be out of frame for a while, I might as well use the time to catch up on paperwork. What else am I going to do? Lay sod in the backyard? I didn't say anything. You start whistling that don't worry, be happy thing. I'll have to come over there and kick butt. We sat listening to the hum in the wires. Lou? Yeah? What's going on? After a moment I said, I'm not sure. 
have to tell you, I don't much like the sound of that. Wouldn't expect you to. Not too crazy about it myself, all things considered. Leaves had gone dead still outside my window. I may be away for a while, Don. I see. We talking a long while or a short one here? I don't know that either. Okay. Wind started up again. Had waited, coiled in the trees till now. Windows chattered in their panes. Strands of Spanish moss blew sideways. A few let go. The sky grew dark. You know where I am? Yes. Call me. I said I would. A stutter of rain started down outside. Take care, Lou. Deborah would be at work, of course. I left a message on her home machine asking if she'd take care of Bat, telling her I'd leave a key with Norm Marcus down the street just in case Zeke wasn't around when she came by. I waited, wanting to say something else, getting ready to, but before I could, the machine cut off. I went into the kitchen to put a message on the refrigerator door for Zeke and stood there looking out the window above the sink. Rain fell without sound through the trees. So much of my life bound up in this house. So many mornings and evenings and nights I'd stood here just like this or sat at the table for long hours with Laverne, Don, Alouette. Quiet moments as the world outside world pass over and around, just as it did now. For by this time, the storm had arrived in earnest. Rain streamed off roof's edge, a solid curtain shutting off that world, leaving me marooned here on this mutable island. Such comfort, such misgiving in it. Sometimes the future dwells in us without our knowing it, and when we think we are lying, our words foretell an imminent reality. Proust, of course. So it is that my own night town sequence begins. Rachel was reading the eighth episode of Eye of the Cricket by James Salis. The book was abridged and directed by Gordon House. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.